Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and right here, waving through this tiny window here in front of me, is my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hello, everyone. It's only us this week, and we are excited to talk about one of our most anticipated films of this year. That is the cinematic adaptation of stage musical Dear Evan Hansen. If you're a longtime listener, you may remember that Patrick visited me in Seattle a couple of years ago, and we actually were able to see the musical production live as part of his birthday celebration. It really does mean a lot to us. It's one of our favorites, and while we will certainly dig into the story's themes and we're going to talk through them, just know that we are coming at this as major fans first and, you know, any sort of critical can, you know, look at this second. So to be fair, that's how we treat most of our conversations, but I just wanted to set the record straight up front, especially considering kind of the consensus reaction to this movie that we have seen across the board. Sincerely, me. (laughs) Okay, well, this is our spoiler alert. If you have not seen Dear Evan Hansen, either the musical or the film adaptation, then you are definitely going to have that spoiled for you if you continue listening to this podcast. I will also say that there are a couple of changes, mainly one large kind of additional piece to the end of the film version that is not part of the stage adaptation. It doesn't change much. It's just kind of a little extra character development, I would say. So not a big, big deal. But if you have seen the stage musical and you haven't yet seen the film adaptation, just know that we're going to talk about that. So if you want to experience that, what it is on your own fresh, you need to go watch the movie before you listen. Okay. Well, Patrick, people have already heard me talk about this film some if they listen to FF Plus or if they've seen me all over social media. And so I want to start off by finding out how you reacted to it. And I want to start off with the best, of course. So we are passionate about our love for this musical. And I figured we needed to kind of explain why that is. So can you tell me on your side what it is about this musical that you love so much? And then I also want to hear what your initial take on the film was kind of a broad overview. Yeah, I, I really fell in love with this musical without meaning to. We were driving to my in-laws house for Thanksgiving. We, we go to Chattanooga each year, which is a nice little eight hour drive and, and road trips for me and my wife are, are probably some of the better like bonding moments for us. Cause we're in a car, we don't have a TV to watch or we're not, we just listen to music. And, um, a lot of people, I don't know if you, people know David Hodges of the band Evanescence. Uh, he was a, a worship pastor when or a worship leader when I got a chance to play with him when we were at a church uh, several years ago. Anyway, we were going through Spotify and Chris is like, hey, I want you to hear this guy, Ben Platt. And I'm like, who's that guy? And this is before I, I knew about um, Pitch Perfect and, and all that. And I'm listening to this guy sing, waving through a window. And I'm like, wow, this guy sounds like David. Hod- Is this David Hodges? Did you say it was Ben who? And I said, well, and she told me who it was. And I said, well, let's keep listening to it. And so we kept playing through the soundtrack and I just started falling in love with this. And I was like, this is really good. What is this? And she's like, it's from a, this musical on Broadway called Dear Evan Hansen. And this is before I fell in love with Pasek and Paul. This is before The Greatest Showman. And the next day, uh, as per our traditions, we'll have the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on. And sure enough, there was a cast of folks performing uh, one of the songs from Dear Evan Hansen. And they said, this is the Tony Award winning uh, musical that won this year. So it's kind of like winning the Oscar for that year. You know, if you've got the, the you know, best musical, I can't remember what the actual award was. And I was like, this is amazing. Listening to the music 
after that, and even in those first instances, I really kind of felt myself get emotional. I was like, I have no idea why I'm getting emotional. I, maybe it's Ben Platt singing. Maybe it's the way the songs are written. It's definitely what we would call a a non-traditional musical, uh, much like The Greatest Showman. And that was really attractive to me. And I remember just falling in love with the soundtrack, but having no context for it at all. Like, oh, this is a great song. I wonder what it's about. And then about a week before you and I went to go see it, I got a chance to get my hands on the, the not novelization, but essentially the, the script that was in book form. Didn't take that long to read. And it gave me a little bit more context. And I was like, oh, it's about this? This, wow, this is, this is really interesting. And then you and I went to go see it. And of course, I just absolutely fawned all over it because it's just like a dream come true. It's like that, you know, meeting a celebrity for the first time that you just, I mean, if I got to meet Hugh Jackman at some point, that would probably trump this, but only by a little bit. So getting a chance to actually see this on stage um, and trying to put what was in my head and seeing it lived out in a stage production was just pretty amazing. And you and I, because it took us an hour to get out of Seattle, um, and that's what happens when you're in a big city and you go see a, you know, a major event like that, we obviously queued up the soundtrack. And we were I remember you and I were specifically talking about, wow, this feels so different in context. It doesn't take away yeah. how great the songs are, but man, like – like Requiem, I was like, what in the world? You hear this song and not knowing what it's about and you get that context, it just completely changes and almost deepens that impact. And so when the movie came around, when we heard about its release, I jokingly have said it's already a five-star movie and it can only go down. Like that's kind of the pedestal we put it on. And of course, some of the pushback, you know, Ben Platt's like 80 and why is he in a, in a movie like this? And <laughs> I, I just like, whatever, I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. It already checks the boxes for having amazing music. It takes place in high school. It's coming of age. I mean, it's the things that I just absolutely gravitate towards. So I had high expectations going in and my, my take from it was just, this was really good. I, I don't want to say make a comparison to the stage production because I think those are two different entities because you're obviously adapting uh you have seen you have you have settings that are not you you have different creativity that's applied in other words cinematography is probably the equivalent to stage production you know how do you get from one place to another the but the overall story I thought was really good there were there were times I think at the very beginning where I was having a little bit of trouble getting into the musicality of it because you start right from the very beginning. I mean, yes, you have an overture in a stage production, but I think that for this one, because of the song selection, it's, it feel, it feels like a production and you're not quite into the movie yet. This is different from a movie musical where you have a, a little bit of exposition, you're meeting characters, and then all of a sudden they start singing two or three minutes in, this is purely a musical moment here. And and you get that from other modern musicals too. I mean, West Side Story is probably going to have that because it has it in the original. And um, and of course, uh, The Greatest Showman's that way too. But when you isolate with someone like Evan and you're getting to know him, it had its... I had trouble catching on, but once I did, once I was fully immersed in it, I really, really enjoyed it. And so I came away saying that's that's a fantastic movie. I really enjoyed it. Good. I, I fully expected that, obviously, as we joked about. Um, but you know, I knew after I saw it, you know, ahead of you, that you were going to love it just as much as I did. And I can't remember if I said this on the other podcast or not. But so I apologize for the things I repeat, folks. But you know, I watched it twice. And the first time I watched it was with family and it was a lesser experience for me. And I really learned how, when I'm watching something for the podcast, I need either that theatrical viewing or I need to watch it alone the first time, because I really am watching with such a different lens and I'm trying to either mentally take notes or in this case, I was on my, you know, I had my, my, my phone out and my ex was like, I was talking to her about my experience. She was like, yeah, you run your phone the whole movie. And I was like, no, I, that was my notepad app, right? I was like taking notes 
and it's just a different experience. I came home, I watched it again, because thankfully I had a screening link, and it was an entirely different experience. And I was free of that first viewing. And this, this happens a lot with movies that we have high expectations for frequently. A lot of times it happens with the big sci-fi epics for me. So Dune, just get ready. It's going to take me a couple of times. The first time I see it, I'm going to give it three stars, and then it'll be a five-star masterpiece and in my top ten. That's my MO. But, you know, it does. Like, when you're free of that, oh, man, I was able to kind of, I think, have more like what you experienced even on your first time, where I just really got into it emotionally. I love what you said about the musical itself and when we saw it, because I was turned on to the music of this by you, who discovered it first. And then I started listening to the soundtrack as well and agree. Like, it was about the songs. I didn't have context. I actually didn't even know the full story of what was going on in the musical. And and I don't even know if I cared. I just liked the music and the words and how they went together. And what I really enjoyed about this, maybe the most as far as an adaptation quality goes, is the fact that it provides these moments in between the songs in a way that you don't get on the stage production. And it felt more like a naturally progressing story all the way through. And and I like that. And I and so I can appreciate the film version for differences that I appreciate the stage version for. And I'll always have a preference. I will always think that the stage version is quote better like i would if i had to pick one to go see again and i could i would easily go see it in its stage production form but i love that i have the convenience of being able to watch this and sing along with it at home in movie form too so it's really nice to have two winning versions of this story for us so i want to dig into this and Critics have been really rough on this film, uh, and to say the least. And normally we're not going to like go after... It's funny because it kind of reminds me of actually our first episode we ever did, which I think we even had a section where we talked about like the negative Batman v Superman reviews and read some, and we're like, let's intentionally argue. And we really haven't done that since then, but I, I kind of have some feelings like that this time around. Critics have called this story cringy. They've called it problematic, and it's largely not just because of Ben Platt's age. So there's plenty of people who have knocked the film because of his age and said that they couldn't get past it because he looked old, he had a puffy face, and therefore they couldn't take it seriously. Whatever. I'm not going to argue with that. I I think Ben... well, Well, we'll talk about that first. Personally, I think Ben was great. I think he sang and emoted while he was singing in a way that other actors cannot do. He literally can cry and sing at the same time, which is insane. And he understands this character on a deeply profound level that no other person could. And so he brings something to that character that is unique, that is special, that is personal. Did I think a couple of times in the film, man, he looks kind of old. Yeah, I did. Did it ruin it by any means for me? No. How how did you react to his performance and his age? I mean, it definitely stood out. And I think that this is coming from a guy, if you guys have heard me talk about high school settings, I don't notice that stuff at all. I hear people talk about, you know, you're watching One Tree Hill and these guys are like 23 years old. I'm like, I don't see that. I don't see these 90210 cast members as being 19, 20, 21 years old playing high school kids. And maybe it's the same kind of, rose-colored glasses that I have when I see college football players at 18, 19, 20 years old, and I still think they're older than me because of the environment that they're in. I think that's the magic of suspending your disbelief. I'm not intentionally doing that, but I'm also the guy that doesn't, unless it's just really, really blatant, I don't notice a lot of bad CGI either. So that's just my personal kind of approach, my personal experience, my personal whatever with going to movies is I just don't notice those things. And it could be just that my my brain isn't trained to be critical of those things. I'm not trying to whitewash. I just go, all right, well, sure. Ben did look old in a couple of scenes. I mean, there are times when I think he definitely looks thin, almost to a point of 
there were times when he felt felt kind of sickly. But when you when you watch his character and you understand the character that he is, it makes sense that he's just lanky. I love the way he postures himself. I think that's what I really took away from this is that he cringes a lot. Like he shrugs his shoulders, he bends over, and I think that that's wonderful for his character. But I think it accentuates his age a little bit because if it's a true 18 19 20 year old doing that that kind of cringing that kind of posturing feels a little bit more innocent whereas with him in those moments it felt like an actor kind of posturing it felt like an act again did not take away from his performance i think he's an amazing singer in this and i think you're right because he intimately knows the character he anchors the show he anchors the movie Obviously, he's the main character and everyone else is around him. But I think what Chabosky does really well is he elevates those things that we'll start talking about here in a little bit, like the themes. And he brings in that ensemble cast of folks that are dealing with similar stuff than he is, because that's really one of the main themes of the of the story is we're all kind of broken in our own way. He is just sort of an accentuated version of that in that he doesn't know how to act. He's trying to just get through the day. And I think that what Ben Platt brings is that real sense of awkwardness. His age, I think, definitely brings a bit more maturity to it. And I think that can be less sellable. Like if it's a high school kid performing that, I would believe that on the surface a little bit more. But I'm willing to look past that because Platt's performance is so intimately connected with that character that I'm fine if he looks 25. I'm fine if he's that way because I'm at that point I'm not worried about the fact that he's a freshman and this person's a senior or he's a junior and this person's a junior. Age was really never something that was highlighted in this story. And I think because of that, I'm willing to just kind of let that go. So overall, it didn't bother me. Those small moments where I think he postured himself a little bit differently kind of elevated that or kind of emphasized it, but it wasn't anything distracting for me. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I like I said, I it I said, I said this in my written review that I'm it's not a hill I'm going to die on. I do understand it though. It's one that I will fully admit that I un, I get the criticisms from a purely like he can look old and sing. There are just moments in this movie where he looks closer to Julianne Moore than he does, you know, to to me or you know, to a to a child, I guess. And it and it feels kind of strange to me because it just does. It feels like he's a twenty seven year old kid ta- or guy talking to, uh, you know, a slightly older woman versus a teenager talking to their mom. But I think, luckily for me, because I understand and and have seen at least clips and, and know so much about that character and how much it is important to him, that I was able to overlook that. I I do think that it would be more difficult if I was coming in from the outside with no understanding of this movie, no understanding of this property. And you wanted to sell me on the, the high schoolness of it um, right off the street or whatever. I think that would be a, a harder sell, but for me didn't have any issues with it at all um, that were problematic. Now I want to talk about a couple scenes, a couple things. So the overall heart part of that people are coming to issues with this film is that it's about a kid who lies to a family he straight up tells them yes i was your son's best friend essentially and he leads them on this journey of believing this while going through this process of you know setting up a memorial for connor etc and ultimately has to reckon with that but people get really hung up on the choices he makes and the way in which he handles them and kind of benefits socially from the lies that he tells i want to go through a couple moments one specifically is during the song if i could tell her this seems to be a big issue for a lot of people and that is because evan is singing to zoe zoe is connor's sister and the song which i fell in love with completely out of context not really fully understanding even that this was a guy talking to another dude's sister as the dude 
because I love the song as a little romantic song about all the little things he's observed her, about her over the years and what makes her special. This is a girl he has a crush on. But in actual story, he's supposed to be singing this as if he was her brother. They actually, I think they took it out in the movie, if I don't, if I recall correctly. They took out the part where he catches himself saying that she's hot and then backtracks. Do you remember? Because I think he says, you looked really hot. Uh, uh, cool. When he's talking about her hair. I think so. I think, yeah. yeah, something like that. So there's a moment where, and I think they took that out intentionally. Um so, so anyway, how does this song sit with you? And is there a way that this is, is it just creepy? Is it disrespectful to her to lead her on in this way? And ultimately, where do you land? I want to say this. Part of the criticisms that could be valid is the fact that the tone, I think we have to consider the tone of the musical. So while he's saying these lies, what is the characters, what is the, the movie conveying about Evan's demeanor and the way in which he is communicating this material to her and what he's getting from it? So I, I guess, how does that song affect you? Well, I'm going to telegraph my punches for probably some later conversation because these same ideas are going to come up in, in some of the rest of the discussion. A um, couple of things. One, I think that this is not a moral play. <laughs> This is not a story that teaches us how to be better people necessarily, how to make the right choices. This is a story that tells us how messy life can be when we're trying to make the best choices possible. I also want to say that the choices that Evan makes and the songs that sort of preclude or that emphasize that are usually at the benefit of the recipient so let's go back a couple of scenes to his conversation with his parents and by the way i think shabaski did a fantastic job of showing in those moments he wanted to tell the truth and then he's and he absolutely see, and he sees cynthia murphy played by amy adams really wanting him to say something great you know say something about connor Say something. As a human being, as human beings, I think if we're not being jerks, if we're actually seeing the world as a place to be kind, in that moment, I think Evan is going, I don't know what to say. So, okay, I'll, I'll just go along with this. And yeah, from the God's eye point of view, that's a bad choice. But it's a real choice. It's a real reaction. Especially when you are that vulnerable, you're being invited over for a dinner that you shouldn't be a part of. And we already see that he's not a guy who can be assertive. And the best thing for him, for him, is, okay, they're hurting. Let me go ahead and just play this out. And it's just a dinner. And yes, of course, consequence after consequence after consequence. And that's what the whole story just elevates itself to. But I'm going to argue that the story itself is not just benefiting Evan. It's benefiting everybody else around him. Look, the Connor Project and everything that happened because of it stimulated a whole bunch more conversation in that story. It was not just about paying tribute to Connor, giving him a statue or, or you know anything like that. It was really about this awareness. It was actually about pulling out the things that people were feeling already, which is why You Will Be Found is such an amazing number because it's like, wow, I didn't realize I had a voice to say that. I didn't realize that I had this this opportunity and that's what evan gives is an opportunity to start grieving in a healthy way an opportunity to be honest about how someone feels about zoe because if you notice yes absolutely we see it we know that all these things are being said about her in relationship to how evan feels about her but does that make it wrong does that make it untrue i mean if he's calling her amazing and how her her smile lights up a room. I'm making stuff up, obviously. But if he's saying all these things, it doesn't negate the fact that they're still true. Her relationship with Connor was definitely disconnected. And I think in that moment, just like in the moment with uh, with Heidi, or not Heidi, excuse me, Cynthia Murphy, 
he was telling her the truth about who she was. And he was telling her things that she needed to hear, not that she wanted to hear. Because to him, they were true. Now, with regard to the tone, I think this is where you get into that gray area of musicals. And I'm going to call back a little bit to our conversation with, uh, with The Greatest Showman. Because the criticism behind that was regarding the whitewashing of, um, of P.T. Barnum. And I made the comment that I'm not going to see The Greatest Showman to get a biography about this guy. And when I watch Dear Evan Hansen, when you start throwing musical numbers, when people start singing to each other, I'm suspending my disbelief and I'm telling myself, listen, part of singing and part of performing is capturing pure emotion. This is where manipulation, I think, should be encouraged with your audience. And the way in which he sings to her, the way in which she reacts, I felt her relief and her genuineness of being like, wow, I was cared for. She is. She's cared for. It's just not by her brother. Now, on a logical level, that can absolutely be creepy. He is absolutely lying to her. Connor never said those things. But again, it doesn't make them untrue. But if you take the premise that this movie is not, or this story is not about being morally right and making the right decisions, I think you can really forgive a lot of what's going on here and you can enjoy the story for what it is, which is a series of bad decisions that lead to good in- that lead to good outcomes, actually. Yeah, I think we'll probably end up maybe going into that a little more too, at maybe later on, and how Evan as a whole is what it, what is the ultimate end of the story? Because I, I agree with you. I don't think you can take it as just one moment in time. You have to look at the entire picture of his arc and where he progresses and goes. So I'm going to use the word compassion because I think that is the word that comes to my mind. That is the emotion I feel when I watch him with Cynthia and with her, with his, with both of her parents in different times in the, in the, movie in different times in the story with her with her dad during the you know glove moment like he is showing them compassion is it built on a series of lies yes it absolutely is and does it snowball don't all white lies isn't that reality isn't that how it works it's also because of compassion he gets caught up into this whole cycle of you know now that i've told this thing and made them feel good, it's going to hurt even more if I do this. And it's something we can relate to in so many ways. Like, oh, I don't want to tell the truth. It's just going to hurt you. That doesn't mean that Evan is a hero. And it doesn't mean we're supposed to think Evan is a hero. And I don't get the sense that he is. Um, And now I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But with this particular song, I agree with you. I do not feel that he is trying to intentionally woo her in this moment. I think he has discovered a way in which, as you mentioned, is going to make her feel happy, make her feel better. He's already had the moment with her where she has expressed that she's literally glad her brother is dead because of how he treated her. And so he's trying to make her feel good. And at the same time, this is a kid with his own illnesses, his own mental health struggles. He is socially awkward. He is on medication. He is depressed. He doesn't do well. This is the first time he's ever had the opportunity to feel like he has a way to express his feelings through the song or through these lyrics to her. And so I think it's an important part of him learning and changing and growing. And it's doing something for both of them, like you said. It is it is not just for his benefit, and it is not just to get the girl. And I think that is where people miss the mark on this. This is not a story about Evan trying to get Zoe. In fact, it, and it and he doesn't. He doesn't get Zoe. Like he doesn't win in the end of this movie. You know what I mean? He it doesn't ride off into the sunset with Zoe as his wife. If that happened, I would probably be critical of it as well. But he doesn't. It's much more realistic and fair to both of them. So. There's another move, um, kind of a an issue that people take with this. One of the one-line letterbox reviews that uh, drive me so much crazy. But it's about the way in which the 
kind of social media nature of this story plays out. Specifically during, there's two two scenes I want to point out. One is there's some kids after Connor has been announced to be have, having passed away. We see some kids at his locker taking selfies of themselves next to his locker. Then we see during the You Will Be Found montage, we see of Connor's speech going viral, there's a YouTube video that flashes across the screen. And, and, and of all the things for people to like latch onto an entire movie, a maybe two second screen cap of this is like, is the silliest thing in the world. Like if you're looking for something to hate at if, if this point, but there's a headline on this YouTube video that says, his best friend killed himself. You won't believe what he does next! Exclamation, exclamation. And the criticisms that I've read about this, Patrick, are that the tone is not treating Connor's suicide with the reverence, the respect, the seriousness that it actually deserves. And I know you kind of spoke to this a little bit, probably, when you're talking about, listen, this is a musical. And this is a di- you have to kind of accept a little bit of a more lighthearted world when that happens, typically. But do, what else do you see about these scenes? Like, why why should this not be an issue for people? When you log on to Twitter, and I say you as the royal you, how many times do you see people posting videos of shocking things that you really find either entertaining or hilarious or making you mad, or all three? How many times do you see statistics of people dying in Afghanistan and you just kind of scroll right by because Britney Spears has just gotten out of, you know, um, you know, jail or whatever. I think what this particular scene does, and again, I recognize that the tone of the song is very positive. You will be found. Yes. All this stuff. And I think what it does is there's this flood of information. The way that news travels, the way that things get sparked, the way that likes happen. I mean, part of the visuals of this song and even some of the dialogue in between speak just as much to the virality of something incredible that happens for good or for bad as it does to the actual message itself. And what we find, Aaron, is that somebody could tweet something or post something on Facebook or throw something on Instagram And it could be seen as something really great or really bad, depending on who you are. If it's a political statement about masks or vaccines, you're going to get people that will spin it a certain way because it's a piece of information. That particular thing that you point out speaks to the clickbaitness of who we are and what we want to be attached to. For all we know, that line or that thing that we see could be some troll being like, hey, I want to get more clicks on my website by posting this video. So I'm going to put this, this headline here to get people to watch it. Do we ever find out what it is? I mean, we, his speech is essentially, you will be found. (laughs) And if you look at it in hindsight, well, okay. It's not something I would want to watch over and over again. But the fact is social media can be such an aggressive form of communication that you're going to get every possible permutation of a response from anything, whether it's good or bad. And I think that this particular scene in the movie, now it was played differently for uh, for the stage production, which I thought was, I think we talked about this afterwards, how, how great the stage production was of this. And But I think that when you see this on screen, I think what Shabosky does so well is he he really highlights the virality of it the ability for that information to move so fast so quickly to get people hooked on something to read a speech or to watch a video that that's what's being reinforced here i think the side product and this is where it disconnects from me a little bit is that it tends to want to elevate social media to being sort of the conduit for saving grace when that's not the case I think what it does less effectively, but still effectively, is it connects people. So Evan's speech, the wow, puts people 
in contact with one another. And that's when you hear that really great dialogue over it. Like, I never thought about this or I never really knew him. And wow, I'm so glad you did this. Thanks for having a voice. And I think that that vaults the lyrics and the music of that song to a place that's appropriate. Tonally, yes. What we're doing is we're living in this lie yet again. I mean, Evan's talking about a guy that he never knew and he creates this amazing speech. But again, in that context, when you're somebody living in this, living in those moments, that can mean so much. And it definitely sort of plays itself out in a way that when he eventually gets his comeuppance, he feels that backlash. And I think when watching that number, it doesn't take away from the impact that it has, the powerfulness of the song. I will say that there is a little bit of a mixed message because you've got these two things happening. You've got people hearing this message and being encouraged by it. And yet you've also got it in this world of social media that can spin and manipulate in a way that is um, that can that can hurt people. But again, that's what social media does. It's not meant to be all pure, all truth, all you know, perfect information. It's meant to persuade. It's absolutely meant to persuade. And so I think if anything, this song exacerbates what people were already feeling, which is I'm alone. And yet I see this thing out there that I can attach myself to. This song really elevates that. Does it do it in a way that I personally disagree with? Yeah, kind of, because I think social media can be a blessing and a curse, more a curse sometimes than anything else. But I think that it's an honest portrayal of social media and how you'll get those people that will you know throw, throw lines like that out there okay you know that so is, be it that is ex- yeah that's exactly how i read it was it is an honest portrayal it is reality just like the kids snapping a selfie at connor's locker with his name on it being like hey we love you connor for the instagram like probably never knew him they didn't have any relationship with him either, but they're claiming that no. And and what it shows me is it shows me a great, di, you know, dichotomy because you have Evan who is part of this lie about his relationship with Connor. And it's all about creating compassion and caring for the people who loved Connor, doing it for their benefit first and foremost. Then you have those kids taking a picture for their Instagrams as if that they really had feelings for this kid. And that's not at all for Connor. Like it's, there's no love shown to anyone else in that. It's all for them. They just want the the attention of, oh yeah, you felt bad, right? And that's a very real thing. And that's similar to, I think, when that viral uh, montage is happening, I 100% believe there would be a headline like that. There's not a doubt in my mind that someone would frame it that way i don't think the movie is celebrating that headline it's throwing a whole bunch of them out there it's one of a million different little headlines about this made me cry so much oh my gosh you have to see this right this is how things go viral and so it's just taking an honest like you said look at what that process is and you know taking the the song itself out of it or the the lyrics out of it i mean i agree with you wholeheartedly if we talk about that because you know, the song itself is amazing. The The lyrics or the message of the song is amazing. And it in and of itself is about everybody. It's about Evan. Like he's really singing about himself too, you know, and how he wants to be found. He wants this experience. And so he's speaking to it from a very personal place. So of course it's going to resonate with people that are having a similar experience in their lives. And I, I you know, like you said, there's a, a love and a, there's a curse and a blessing to the social media aspect because you can get information out there. The re, the bottom line for this song being the crux of this entire play, this entire story is that in my opinion, if someone hears this message and it helps them, it is good. If someone hears, no one is going to hear this message and it isn't going to hurt them. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing harmful in you will be found and in the ideas behind the Connor Project and what it wants to show the world and what it wants to share with other people who are hurting. There's nothing in that that is harmful. 
it can only be positive. The only people that could potentially really be hurt from this are the family. That's that's really it, if you think about this. And so what's the greater good in a lot of ways when it comes down to this? So, And I want to transition that into this question about overall about Evan's mental health and how you feel it is portrayed in the film adaptation versus obviously the stage because we get so much more of Evan. We get more dialogue. We get more, as you pointed out earlier, of that great physical acting that it's hard to see when you're in like the second or third mezzanine um, up <laughs> and you're like got your like binoculars out trying to see what's happening on the dark stage. But I just wanted to get your take on that and feel free to, you know, talk about the ending too, because the ending of the movie is different. And I have a quote in here from Ben Platt explaining why the ending was changed. And he says, we see this kid do all these things and tell all these lies in real time. So we need to see the redemption and the forgiveness and the repentance. Watching Evan do the work to figure out who Connor was, heal the family in a much healthier and more removed way, and see him take a breath and then heal himself outside of the trauma he's experienced is really, really effective. So do you agree that that is how Evan's journey plays out in the movie? Well, I mean, if Ben Platt says so, then absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I do. I agree with that because when you watch Evan from start to finish, he just wants to get better. And the crux of this is when he writes the letter that's that's not encouraging, that's that leads to Connor being mistaken as the one who wrote it. And it's interesting to see the letters, which I think are, I want to say, because we're two years removed from the musical, I want to say there are less letters that are anchored in the in the movie than there are in the musical. Maybe not, but I know that there are three different moments where he's writing at the very beginning, the letter itself, and then at the very end where we get that kind of resolution. And the the language is similar in both the first and the last, but because we've gone on this adventure and this little journey with him, it feels honest, just like that middle letter that leads to Connor's uh, connection. It's honest as well. But I think what we have here is when I watch Evan, I think there was a comparison to 13 Reasons Why in one of the articles that I read. And I think not a direct comparison, but the idea of of teen depression and suicide and being quiet and being some of those, you know, the silent kids that nobody really wants to talk to or talk about. I think Evan's character or Ben Platt's character of, of portraying Evan is one of those folks that we get to see his world. It reminded me of Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibel from, from the, the Columbine days and, you know, reading the book that it was based, that was really a biography about that whole incident. You get to understand where these kids were coming from. You know, they were the quiet ones. They didn't have a lot of friends. They were just trying to get through each day. And so knowing that, knowing that there are kids who are just, look, high school is just awkward, man. I mean, as much as I love watching movies that takes place in high school, I would not go back to my high school experience at all because there was so much crap that I had to deal with and just trying to figure out who I was. That's why I hung out with youth group people because, I, you know, those people accepted me. And so to answer your question, I look at, I look at Evan's journey and the mental illness that he deals with. And I think that what Shabosky does really well is that it doesn't highlight the medication. It highlights the fact that people are working through their stuff and sometimes they need therapists. <laughs> sometimes they need to write letters and sometimes they need Lexapro, you know, like, like me, you know, and then I, I think finding the, the me too's and I use that, that phrase before, you know, pre hashtag finding those that you can connect with, not on a meta a medicinal level, but really on a on a just a connection of like, yeah, I messed up too, and that's okay. What I 
what I don't want the movie to lean into or the story to lean into, and I don't think it does, is that it stays in, you know, it doesn't stay in that it's okay to not be okay. And that's where I think Evan's journey works for me is he's always in a place where he wants to get better. And he doesn't just rely on the fact that, yep, I'm on this medicine, this medicine, this medicine. My therapist has got me writing these letters. And the best thing for me to do is to lie to this family and to ingratiate myself and to be the son they never had. And no, he never does that. He lives with a sense of guilt throughout the movie. And there's only one moment where he feels like he's empowered. And that's when he has this conversation with his mom after that, after dinner. And she finds out that he's been hanging out with them and, and she almost uh, resents him for this connection. He's like, you're never here. And they have that really hard conversation later. And she, she reminds him that, no, she loves him and she wants the best for him. And that it, it really highlights how you know, mental health can be forgotten if you're not connected to it directly. Uh, my wife and I are going through uh, the CW series, All American, and, it, and there are some parts of it that deal with uh, addiction. And one character, there's a whole episode about her as a recovering drug addict and how she feels forgotten by her family. You know, she And she says, I came back from rehab and I guess you guys just assumed that I was fixed, but you didn't realize that I still needed to be your daughter. And it was so powerful. And I, I was reminded of that watching this where it's not that people who have mental health issues, which a lot of us do, need to be coddled, but it reminds us that every person that we come into contact with, no matter how awkward they are, no matter how socially different they might be, being a friend is is a valuable thing and that, that people matter. I mean, it's one of the, obviously, the, the obvious positives you can take away from the story is that it's important to be sincerely authentic with, with people. But at the same time, just be genuinely friendly and, and genuinely care, caring for those. Not because of their illness, but because they're people. Right. No, you're so right. You know, it, it infuriates me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I said this in some of my written stuff and on social media, I was pretty outspoken about how mad I was at some of the takes on this film. I took it very personally because we live in a world right now, right now, Patrick, in this last like six months where everybody, and I use royal you or everybody in quotes obviously but when the narrative the, the the big hullabaloo on social media everybody wants to talk about is mental health naomi osaka thank you for standing up you know simone Biles, thank you for standing up and for thinking about mental health and putting it first as an athlete it is important but we get a kid who makes one bad decision on a movie who's got mental health issues and people want to throw him under the fire. And, it, you know, I truly believe that there's something that is subconsciously being expressed there that people need to take a look at themselves and why they are seeing these situations differently. I think people genuinely want to see Evan punished. I think they want him to hurt. Like, they want him to suffer for what he did. That's the only explanation here because I don't see why otherwise you would hate him he doesn't, like I mentioned, come out as a hero. He doesn't get the family, the second family that he had essentially gained, goes away. He doesn't get Zoe. And in my opinion, like Ben Platt says, he has that repentance. He has that redemptive moment. And that's what people seem to be hung up on, I guess. is, And that's, com that's coming from the movie version, right? This is some of the changes that it made where... Yes, ultimately, we get to see Evan as a good person. He's not good because he lied, Patrick. He's good because he learned from it. And he got better. Yeah. He was going to kill himself. Like, the reason he has a flipping cast on at the beginning of the movie, people yeah. just want to gloss over this. Like, this is a kid who was literally about to be Connor. He was about to be Connor. This whole situation probably saved his life, Yeah, to be honest. This lie saved one kid. It had already taken, it didn't cause the death of Connor. That, that happened. That was going to happen no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. But you might have saved somebody else. And we get to this end part, dude, and I love this edition. And for me, this is what picks the movie to the next level. Not, quote, better than the play or whatever, but it like gives it a unique experience and importance that I think is so valuable. Not for attention, Evan goes out of his way 
to start learning about Connor. And it's the not for attention part that I feel this matters so much. He doesn't tell anybody about it. It's not for social media. He doesn't have to worry about standing in front of the Connor project or in front of the school and explaining what's happening. He just goes looking for people. And he's like, tell me about this person. And he genuinely wants to get to know about him. He reads yearbooks. One of the coolest parts is he reads books. He finds this list in the yearbook of Connor's favorite books, which by the way, I'd have been good friends with Connor. His Me favorite too. books, Cat's Cradle, The Little Prince, Ready Player One, The Client. Yeah. He's got some yeah. John Grisham in there. Yeah. The Giver, Persepolis, and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Hello. Great Hello. book that yes. not a lot of people have read, but you and I both love. And like, it's not about sharing it on with the world. It's about him. It is so personal. And it meant so much to me to, to have him learn who Connor was, find out the good things about this person, not that he made up for somebody else's benefit, that but actually existed, the traits that were there, and come out just a better person and a better human being and a better able to like integrate with society in the future and not be socially awkward. Like it's a beautiful thing. And I think people seem to miss this aspect it's it's almost like let he who is without sin throw the first stone that's the thing that comes to my mind patrick because it's like people want to trash him for his decision making in the beginning you know does it really matter does that matter more or does the end matter more to me the end matters more obviously and i'm very passionate about that well i think you're making a good point in that i think there's just this mentality of cosmic justice that a lot of our world wants to have we're ready to crucify anybody who we see as doing something socially wrong or against the the norms of culture whatever whatever those are at the time and i want to emphasize at the time because obviously a year from now the things that the majority of or a a good chunk of people might say this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong a year from now could be like eh, it's all right and things that were not as big of a deal a year ago are now like right at the epicenter. And if you're doing something wrong today, or let's go back to the, the idea of, you know, pulling tweets from 10 years ago that I'm, that someone might've said that were you know racially charged or bigoted, pulling those up 10 years later when a person has completely removed themselves from that has changed. I think that there's this fleshly, desire for us to want to be judge and jury of things. And when you look at look at Evan's story, the way in which he gets from point A to point B, we don't want to forgive because we don't like how he got there. And I think that we by default as people, we just want to have we want to make sure that there are consequences to what you say and what you do. And that's not untrue. But I think that's when we miss forgiveness. That's when we miss the aspect of repentance, the idea of saying, look, I recognize what I did was wrong, and now I'm turning from that and start and doing something different. For him, that's repentance. By doing things like finding out more about Connor in the silence of his living room under a laptop for himself, I think that was his personal journey to realize, okay, I'm not trying to cover up my tracks and saying I never knew him. It's this backwards way of looking. You know what? He was worth getting to know. I'm going to do whatever I can to fill in those gaps because it was worth it. I mean, think about it. When you have a family member that you didn't know and you go to their wake, what are you asking? If you're genuinely curious, you're going, hey, what were they like? And you hear all these stories being told. And for people... There's a connection that we ha- want to have with those distant relatives. Look, I mean, my, both my parents were only children, and so I don't have cousins or aunts or uncles necessarily. But my mom tells me stories about my paternal grandfather that I never knew who loved Latin and loved math. And I was like, wow, maybe that's where I got the love of language and the love of math. I mean, maybe. And so it, it, it makes me curious. Now, can I go look him up on the internet and find people that knew him? No, I can't do that because I don't have that information. But that curiosity and that desire to fill in those gaps, Evan wants that. I think that's what makes him whole. And if people are upset because he hurt people along the way, 
check yourself, bro. We hurt people along the way, not intentionally. And yes, there is regret from that, but do we not learn from it? Do we not learn from the mistakes we made? Look, I have broken relationships that I either have not mended or I'm in the process of mending or that I have mended, but they've made me such a, they bettered me as a person. And I think that other people feel that way too. We're going to hurt each other. It's just going to happen. But I think we can relate to Evan in more ways than we can't in that the things we're doing are with good intentions because I think he highlights the fact that he's trying to be someone for everybody and he realizes he can't and it's only when he can you know fill up his own love tank when he can fill up his own self-worth that he can genuinely function in in the actual world I mean I think therapy would tell you we have to be able to love ourselves and that's a very humanist idea but there is some truth in that that we have to be, be able to you know, think of ourselves as valid before we can genuinely care about others. And by the end of the movie, I really think he got there. And that's where I, where I, I love the ending of the movie because I feel like everything that you want to latch onto, he didn't get the girl. He didn't get the family that he wanted. Uh, he's probably not going to school or if he is, he's going to have to struggle to make it. You can attach your ideas to that. But I think more than anything else is that he found a way to genuinely care about someone because he genuinely found out about that person. And, and I don't think there's, ultimately anything wrong with that if it if it brings you as an individual a level of health mentally and otherwise that's going to be beneficial yes there is collateral damage but the fact is aaron zoe was going to be hurt regardless (laughs) and his parents were going to be hurting they were going to have to grieve in their own way and i believe in my heart that the actions that he took were not going to be so detrimental that they couldn't get over the loss of their son and the loss of her brother. I don't think that's the case. I agree. Because the, the, the reality is that whatever Evan did not present them with is what existed. And that, that's a really weird sentence. But essentially, there wasn't anything very much there because Connor didn't have friends. And Connor wasn't a great person. And Tammy, my ex-wife, actually pointed that out. And she said she was actually really happy that the film didn't treat it like so many other suicide stories where every single person has to be grieving and emotionally distraught. We see people in this film, like Zoe, who are not, who are like, we see the wall that, that Connor punched. And she said, you tried to kill me. Like, Connor had issues, right? And so... It wasn't going to be any better without what Evan said. And in a in a way, it's almost like he greased the skids, so to speak, to the point where they were able to remember the better parts of Connor that did exist, even if they didn't include friends in high school and the things that Evan sort of made up, right? So, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I want to talk about the songs. We have to talk about the songs. So let's, we, let's, let's, gonna end it here i guess by talking about songs because songs are what make musicals songs are what we fell in love with first and here we have the difficult proposition of transferring musical numbers from stage to screen especially in a situation where they're not exciting and they're not really bombastic musical numbers with lots of dancing and singing or well i guess there's always singing but like lots of dancing and uh, highly produced um, background visuals and things like that there are people singing at a di- dinner table <laughs> or on a stage in a school at a, doing a speech. So we're missing three major songs. Anybody have a map? Good for you. And to break in a glove. And we have a couple new songs. Uh, one sung by Amanda Stenberg's character, Alana. It's called The Anonymous Ones. And then the song sung by Connor at the end with when Evan is going through the, the learning process about him called A Little Closer. How did you feel about how we handled, or how we, how Pasek and Paul, how Shabosky handled the songs that they included, the way that they were shot, and then the new ones? Well, I will say this. I think that you're always going to have a tough time translating stage to screen. This is what makes me curious about West Side Story. Are all the songs going to be included? Or are they going to the cut? I don't think we'll have any new ones. I hope not because I mean, that's just blasphemy at this point to add new songs to a, to a musical like that. But I will say 
you know, specifically to break in a glove, it feels stagey is what it is. I mean, it's a conversation and it, it feels a little, it, it sounds like a musical number. Other songs feel they're musical numbers, but they feel theatrical. They feel they can be cinematic. And, you know, I was thinking about you're a good man, Charlie Brown to break in a glove feels like a, a you're a good man, Charlie Brown song, just kind of a little light and airy here and there. But what I liked about that is, is that in the absence of that song, the meat of what it was talking about stayed in a conversation between, uh, between Evan and Connor's dad, who I wish was played by Henry Cavill, but that's another story altogether. Um, but I think that that scene in particular was still, uh, it still contained the essence of what that song was. You know, the idea of the importance of creating a metaphor of like this new glove needs to be broken in. The other two, I think are on the same playing field. I think when it feels appropriate to include a song for the sake of carrying your narrative, yes, absolutely do that. With regard to the new songs, I'm going to go back to talking about the uh, the reimagined or live action Aladdin, where Pasek and Paul added, I think, one new song to to that. And I know we were excited about that. And I was kind of disappointed. Um, I mean, it was a nice song. But it felt like it was just added for the sake of, hey, let's add a new song. These two songs, Aaron, completely appropriate for the tone of the movie, for the story. And they came at such great times in the movie. I absolutely latched on to the anonymous ones because the lyrics to that song absolutely speak to the fact that there's a lot more going on under the surface of everybody that we don't know about and we don't take the time to either care about or we don't have the sensitivity to say look people are hurting because we live in a hurt world we live in a fallen world and then a little closer i think what i loved more than anything about this song was the way in which it was introduced how the end of the song we're like oh my gosh that's the video that we see a piece of connor that nobody else knows about and to see his family reacting to it, I absolutely love, oh gosh, there is this, I love, um, I want to say it's that song, but when, during the song, when his dad walks into the house and is just breaking down crying after holding it in for so long, and then at the end seeing, at the end of the song, seeing the the family getting together and him putting his hand in his wife's. It was just wonderful. And so I think these are, are solid wins for Pasek and Paul to add to the musical. I hope that there's an ultimate album that comes out that includes these songs. And uh, I mean, obviously we have the movie cast version, but it would be fantastic to just kind of have a kind of a deluxe everything together type of thing. But yeah, I thought these were both of those were were absolute winners for me. Yeah. So exact same. I won't just I'll say ditto. I agree on both of those and exactly why you responded to them. I did as well. And I think that Chabosky has stated, well, not I think that Chabosky has stated. Chabosky has stated that the reason the three songs that were missing were left out is because they were not central to the point of view of Evan. And as much as I love those songs deeply during the soundtrack, he's absolutely correct that they aren't central to Evan. In fact, all three of them are sung by parents. And I, that really kind of highlights where he, the direction he went with this. And I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that if you've got to make the cuts to make it a little bit more you know, cinematic in the way it flows, that's fair. I also love that Good For You is being played instrumentally by the school band at the very beginning when Evan is in the gymnasium and Alana's up there speaking about being a conservationist and, I don't know, all kinds of social justice issues. And she basically is for the cause, like, no matter what the cause is. Uh, but that was pretty good as well. Just, I didn't catch it the first time around, but the second time I heard it in the background, I was like, dude, that sounds like a really catchy, familiar tune. What is that? And I realized, I was like, thank you. That, that is the kind of detail like a super fan like me could seriously appreciate. 
but I loved it. I loved, I loved the way the music worked in the film. And I think that it was as good as could be possibly done and translated for the type of songs. And the, the song, uh, sincerely me is really fun. The montage with Jared, I think was hilarious. I was a little annoyed that they left out a couple of lines of yes. that song, but whatever. <laughs> I get it. We're PC. We got to be careful. And I understand that. And I don't want anybody to be offended by it, but I, they were really funny in the context of the original. That was one, uh, yeah. Aaron, that I, I, I was wondering, how are they going to do that? Because uh, watching the stage production, I remember that Connor came back and, and was singing as well. And I was like, how are they going to do this? You know, in terms of, I love the, the walk and talk almost like this is kind of Aaron Sorkin has kind of what, what's the, I don't know what the, the like flash mob type thing where you have people, you have the camera panning back and people are singing to it and you know, lip syncing a song. That's kind of how I felt it was where you had Connor doing his thing. And it was, uh, it was really entertaining. Probably my, not my favorite number, but the most entertaining for sure. Yeah. Without question, the same for me. Well, did I miss anything that you wanted to talk about specifically? I don't think so. I think we pretty much nailed it all that we could. <laughs> and I guess, right. that, I guess that's going to do it for us. Uh, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this conversation. We hope that you watched the movie before actually listening because, uh, you know, obviously we spoiled the heck out of it. But it's definitely something worth seeing. Check it out in the theaters. Uh, you know, give it your money. I think it's we both think it's just absolutely amazing, as you've heard. And uh, we appreciate any kind of feedback you have. You can always visit us in the Facebook group. We've also got a Discord channel. Just, uh, you know, tell us your thoughts. Let us know what you think was great about it. If you think Ben Platt's too old for his britches or if you think that everything worked perfectly, we'd love to hear any kind of feedback that you have. As always, it's been a great conversation and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.